Uh, we're going to go into our scripture and want to apologize. I actually put the wrong scripture here. Uh, it, it says Exodus 13, but we're actually going to be reading Exodus 16, verses 1 through 12. Um, and so we'll give you a moment to find that. Uh, we actually will put the correct scripture. Don't worry. This is actually the correct scripture. Uh, but uh, if you want to look that up, and it, we're going to be reading in the ESV. If you have a, a Bible or a Bible app, again, it's Exodus chapter 16. We're going to be read, reading verses 1 through 12. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to reign Bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right, well, we are continuing in our sermon series, Firm Foundation, and today's message is called Our Daily Bread. And that obviously is a line from the Lord's Prayer, where we pray uh, for our daily bread. Uh, it, it is a part of our experience as Christ followers that uh, God sustains us. He gives us what we need every day. And in times such as these, uh, I think that one of the, the things that we run into is the fear of scarcity. And I think for me, uh, it's something I've had to reflect on. Uh, the idea that, um, is enough enough for me? <laughs> and, and I think there are times where whether it be food or whether it be money, money's a big one, right? We'll, we'll get more into that later. Uh, or it be like entertainment. I, I think I've talked about, I have this weird thing with video games where I keep buying new games even though I haven't played the ones I have. You know, and just like this idea that when is enough enough? And in times such as this, when I think there is a lot of fear, there's a lot of fear of the unknown, 
one of the things that happens is that it, it's, it's not just the normal uh, sort of this idea of like, you know, do we have enough? But something weird happens to us where things that are not scarce, we get really, really afraid that they, that, that they will be scarce. And so probably the way that, that uh, I think is the most obvious uh, or, or, you know, one of the really blatant ways you've seen this <laughs> during this whole pandemic is toilet paper. It's weird, right? It's one of the things that people noticed that, you know, right when, you know, things started to get shut down and, and uh, we were starting to quarantine, uh, just people immediately started buying up all the toilet paper, right? And, and people w- were kind of wondering, they're like, why toilet paper? You know, there's other things that, that also <laughs> kind of go scarce whenever there's, there's any threat of like, whether it be like a storm, obviously the pandemic, uh, uh, people buy up all the bread. Uh, that's another one. And, and the, the bread is really weird too because bread expires, you know? And so like, like what are you going to do with like 10 loaves of bread? And you can freeze it, but frozen bread is kind of gross. But anyways, <laughs> that's not what this sermon is about. But the toilet paper thing, I seriously don't get it. What, what, what is it? And, 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 you know, when, when I kind of reflect on it, I guess, you know, maybe it has something to do with, like, what are, like, really the essentials you need? And maybe just the idea of, like, being stuck without toilet paper, that frightens some people. And some people start buying toilet paper. And then I think what happens is that you go to the store and you look and, and you know, there's that, that, that aisle where you normally see all the toilet paper. If you go to Costco, they used to have, like, stacks and stacks of it, Right. Uh, they got those big pallets out. And, and then you see where there normally was stacks and stacks of toilet paper. You just see a few packages. And you go there and you're like, oh, well, there, everyone else is buying the toilet paper. I better grab some, right? Because if I don't grab it now, then I'm not going to have it. It's the fear of scarcity, right? This idea that something we need will not be there. But the funny thing is that... <laughs> There was no toilet paper shortage until people started freaking out, right? There was plenty of toilet paper. It wasn't rare, right? Like, have you ever gone to the store before the pandemic and been like, oh, my gosh, there's no toilet paper? It's never happened, right? It's a very common thing. But this is what happens in times like this, right? And brothers and sisters, I I don't think it's just limited to toilet paper, (laughs) But I think in many things, there is this idea, is there going to be enough for us? And I think the question that comes out of this, at least for me spiritually, is where is my faith in God in all of this? Is there a correlation with my faith in God and God being a sustainer, the God that provides for us our daily bread? And how do we sort of match that with uh, our responsibility to actually, you know, earn money, go out and buy food, right? To trust in the, the, the supply chain, right? You know, should we be freaking out when there isn't enough? You know, should we buy up all the toilet paper? You know, what does this do to our faith as well? What you're going to see uh, in scripture is that the people of Israel were led out into the desert. Well, the wilderness, right? Is it like Sahara Desert? Not really. There's vegetation. Um, 
But when it says desert in, in the Bible, it's really wilderness, right? It's an untamed place. And yes, some of it was desert. They definitely didn't get as much water as we do here. Uh, but it, it's a place where, for a lot of people, you would fear scarcity. You would fear having enough water. You would fear having enough food. And remember, the people, they were in uh, Egypt for several generations. That's all they knew. And so this is all brand new. And we talked about last week how quickly the people forget the salvation of God, right? That God delivered them from Egypt. And then, then now they're out in the, the desert and they start complaining, right? They start whining. They're like, Moses, why did you bring us out here uh, to die? We were in Egypt and um, we, we sat by the meat pots. I don't really know what that is, but... Um, it sounds both wonderful and gross at the same time, <laughs> right? Like the idea that you would go to a pot and it would just be full of meat. But how long has it been sitting there? Anyways, I digress. But, <laughs> you know, this idea that we, we had enough. We ate bread to the full. Have you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger? And there is an aspect of this that, that we addressed last week, the, the idea of our forgetfulness, right? That's definitely a part of it. But read into what the people are saying, the kind of fear that they have, right? There's just not enough. I mean, you know, thanks, Moses and God, for delivering us from Egypt and slavery. But, I mean, come on. We look around and there's just, there's nothing to eat, right? We see it with our own two eyes, the scarcity. Right? So in this passage, there is a very real fear of scarcity. And the people start grumbling, right? And so what you see in this is that God will provide. But I want to point out something that I think is kind of interesting, is that God does provide, but this passage is not just about God's provision. I mean, it is, but it is also about the law. You're like, wait, what? The law, it's not coming for like three, four more chapters, right? With the Ten Commandments and all that. That's true. There's not a written law here. But here you start to see the concept of law form in the people of Israel. So let's take a look. Verse 4, then the, law, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Like, what, do you, what does that mean? Walk in my law or not? So what's happening here is that God says to the people, I'm going to provide for you, right? Every day, uh, uh, you're going to have quail and you're going to have bread, right? It's not really bread, but it's this manna stuff. It's like, they, they say it's like sweet, like coriander. It's like flakes. And it just every morning you're, you're going to wake up and there's going to be food for you. But what, what they're told is that this idea of the law is that you're only supposed to gather what you need. That's it. Right? So uh, depending on the number of people in your house, that's how much bread you're supposed to gather. Right? No more, no less. There's one exception, and it is the day before the Sabbath. So on Friday, you're going to gather double portion, 
right? So then on Saturday, which would have been the Sabbath, uh, you will have enough food and you don't have to work, right? Now, God has already, we've already heard uh, talk about the Sabbath, talk about rest. And it is starting to get instituted into this idea that we call the law. But what is happening here is that this is God putting constraints on the people, telling them that this is the way that you should live your life. This is the way that you walk with the Lord, right? Which is the law. So we normally think about the law as kind of this idea of of like rules and regulations. And I mean, to be honest, we think about it as a negative thing, right? Like, get off me. Stop telling me what to do, right? Stop boring me around. I don't like it. You know, this is why a lot of us, we rebel against our parents. We, we don't like their law, <laughs> right? Now, I don't know about you. I never had a written contract with, with my parents. But make no mistake, there was law, right? There were things that were supposed to be a certain way. I was supposed to do things a, a certain way. Some of these things were unspoken. Some of these things were definitely spoken, right? You know, I was supposed to clean up after myself, you know, after dinner. I was supposed to say thank you. I was supposed to, you know, be, be on time when my parents told me that I was supposed to come home, you know, uh, obey my curfew, all those kinds of things, right? It's the same concept when it comes to God. And as with our parents, God is not doing it to be cruel. God is doing it actually to protect us, to help us to thrive, right? There is a reason why God is doing this. And so here, the constraint is about having enough. This is the constraint. You go out and you gather exactly what you need and no more. So what happens is, uh, actually, I want to show this. Uh, We're going to skip ahead a few verses here. Um, What happens is that uh, this is where you see uh, God being specific about it. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. So there, there was a measure that they used. And so omer for each person, right? Now, you might already have a question. Aren't some people like bigger than others? Don't some people eat more than others? What, what if you just have like a little tiny kid? And then what if you have like, I don't know, there, there's like the, the basketball player of the Israelites, you know, some dude who's like six foot eight or, you know, some dude who's just like a lot bigger and, and he can just eat so much, right? But everyone gets the same portion. Omer for you, Omer for you, Omer for you, right? And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, depending on the number of people that they had. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And and so what we find out is that the people have exactly enough. How does it work out? We're not really sure. And, and maybe, I mean, to be honest, people didn't really like probably have like the proper scales. But Moses is saying like, hey, you're going to learn what is enough for you, right? Take that and no more. And I think that's what's happening. So whether you have a kid or whether you have a, a bigger person, you look at it and you're like, okay, what do I need, right? 
and you're not supposed to take more than that. Because what happens? What happens is that uh, uh, by the end of the day, right, when you rise in the morning, that whatever is left over would rot. And so Moses said to them, uh, let no one leave any of it over till the morning, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. What's going on, friends? What's going on? So we're told that the Israelites live on this for 40 years, right? After a while, you know. You know what portion you need. But very consistently, the people of Israel are like, you know what? I need more. It's not enough. Oh, look at Mary over there. She she's, seems to be taking a lot. What if Mary takes all of the manna today and I don't have enough? They just, they take more. Right? Oh, well, if Susie is taking that much, then I'm going to take more. And then, oh, John's taking more. Well, I'm going to take more. It's not going to be enough. I think people worry, right, that, that fear of scarcity. What, 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 what if I'm especially hungry today? You know, I, I, I better just take a little bit extra. And, and I, I, there is sort of like a, a symmetry with, remember when Jesus was uh, passing out the loaves and the fish, and it didn't seem like it was enough, Right? Depending on the story, five loaves and two fish. Um, it, it, Jesus does it a, a couple of times, so there's different stories. But five loaves and two fish, it's not enough to feed thousands of people. But somehow, everyone has their fill. And actually, in the story that we hear, they have leftover. They, there's, there's a spiritual significance to that overflow. But it's almost as if God is saying, I got you. You don't got to worry. You will have Enough, because I am enough, right? You're not trusting in the amount of manna. You're trusting in me. And, 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 and when people took the proper amount, they would always be full. But when people didn't take the proper amount, what would happen? It would spoil and rot. And remember, verse 4. God is saying, this is a test. Will you follow my law or not? Will you follow my word? Will you trust in what I have to say? So brothers and sisters, I think you can see the parallel (laughs) with our our toilet paper scenario, right? But it's not just toilet paper. It goes to a lot of things. Uh, So so one of the things that uh, consistently... When people are asked about their means, you know, how much money you have and how much money you need, uh, when you ask people that, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Everyone has the same answer. You're like, well, how can that be? Everyone makes different amounts of money. What it is, is it's about 20% more than what you're currently making. So you could be a, a multimillionaire. And someone will ask you this, and you're like, mm, you know what? I just need about 20% more. You know, I make $5 million, I actually need $6 million, right? And, and if you ask someone who makes you know, 
I don't know, $100,000, don't say $120,000, right? And it's not like people know this about each other, right? It's not like they have a calculator. They're like, what's 20% more than what I need? It's just this, this kind of feeling that all of us have. It doesn't matter who you are. Whatever we have is not enough. Now, this is the thing. If you are rich and you have the means to get more, what happens when you get the $6 million? Do you think that the person who had $5 million and now has $6 million is content? Now they need $7 million. When the person gets $7 million, are they content? No, it keeps going. What happens when we do that? What happens is sort of a weird cousin of scarcity, which is hoarding. So this is a picture of uh, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> I don't know if you guys uh, have ever seen DuckTales. Uh, I grew up on it. Um, but Scrooge McDuck, uh, he, he's actually the character from uh, Christmas Carol. But anyways, Scrooge McDuck is um, this very rich, uh, he's the uncle of, uh, or yeah, I think he's the uncle of Donald Duck. Um, and he's very, very rich. He has so much money that he's got this vault where he can swim in the money. There's like these gold coins and he like swims around in it. And just like, I, I always thought it was so funny because if you ever tried to dive into a bunch of gold coins, you would just go boom, right? But, but Scrooge McDuck could swim around and his goal in life was be, to be the richest duck, I guess, in their world. <laughs> the richest duck, I was going to say man. He's not a man. The richest waterfowl in the world, you know? And, and that was his goal in life. Friends, what happens when the fear of scarcity runs amok and it's never enough? You know what happens? You get the world we live in now. And the world we live in now has so much income inequality, right? I mean, this is the thing. Just think about how much money is out there, how many resources. I mean, even the idea of money. I mean, I'm not going to get into economics lesson, but we create money, right? And, and when you do the math, there's enough. There is enough food. There is enough money. But this is the world we live in now. This is actually uh, from Forbes uh, from uh, uh, October. And the headline here, if you guys can see it, it says top 1% of U.S. households hold 15 times more wealth than the bottom 50% combined. Seriously, let that soak in for a second. The top 1% of U.S. households hold 15 times more wealth than not one person in the bottom 50%. The entire 50% combined. It's staggering. Like seriously, friends, it's getting worse. It is not getting better. Why? We have enough. We know there are people starving. We know we lived in this world where it's jacked up. But it's never enough. I know it's really easy to kind of like, you know, think about the people like the Scrooge McDucks hoarding all their money, like, <laughs> you know, swimming in it and stuff, and just wasting it. I, I think like I remember like cartoons where they, they would like make fun of like super rich people. 
and they're like smoking a cigar and they're burning money with it, you know? It's, it's not that, friends. It's the other thing. It's scarcity. It's the fear of scarcity. It never stops. I know it seems so silly once you have so much money, but it's never enough for us. It is the same root. What does this have to do with the law of God? There is this thing, brothers and sisters, that weirdly mirrors everything that we're talking about. It is our resistance of the word of God. Like, Pastor Steve, that doesn't make sense. You're shifting gears very seriously here. But God makes it very clear. This is not just about your greed or, you know, your, your, your appetite, your hunger. This is about listening to my law. Do you trust me? Do you trust that what I give you is enough? If I tell you to live in a certain way, can you trust that at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of your lifetime, that you will be satisfied? You will live a life of joy? You will live a life of enoughness? Because if you think about it, why do we not like the law of God? This is a a, a question that I I actually want to stay with for a while. I'll be honest with you. What this year was supposed to be about in terms of the sermons, the firm foundation, was I wanted to help you to be able to read the Bible. Now, there is a significant portion of the Bible that deals with something called the law. It's the hardest thing, right? For most people, when they read the Bible, they start in Genesis, and they're like, oh, stories, right? Adam and Eve, and, you know, you've got Noah, and you've got the animals, and like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then you get in Exodus, more stories, right? People, okay, they, they leave Egypt, and they start grumbling, and that starts getting repetitive because they, they grumble a lot. <laughs> they disobey a lot. And then comes the law. This is where almost all of us drop out. You just get just verse after verse after verse of commands. And brothers and sisters, I know there is this thing. We'll, we'll address this. I, I, I promise you, we'll get to this. This idea of like, okay, but we're, we're, we're New Testament, right? We're, 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 we're Christians. And, and so the law, we have a different relationship to it. Yeah, that's definitely true. But I don't want that to excuse because, you know, obviously, we're not in Adam and Eve times and, you know, uh, uh, Noah times, and we didn't have a problem with that, right? Like, like we don't live the same way that they did. We, we don't live in the desert. We, we don't have the same kind of situation, right? So obviously, situations change. We know that. But I do think there is something on a very, very basic level that when God tells us to do something, we're just like, mm. Or we're like, mm, okay, that's what you say. We don't like it. We don't like being told what to do. And so what I realized, friends, is that I couldn't start with how to read the Bible. Because, I mean, to be honest, we don't like reading the Bible. Because there's lots of it where God is telling us the way it is. Telling us to do certain things. Even Jesus, don't get it twisted. Brothers and sisters, the law of the Lord 
And we will nuance this. But the concept of law, the concept that God says something is a certain way and we should live a certain way, that never goes away. It doesn't even go away with Jesus, right? And the reason why it doesn't go away is because then you don't have God. God is the supreme authority. God knows how best to live this life. And he didn't just leave you alone. Right? This is the narrative sometimes you get in modern life. It's like, oh, well, human beings, we're just on our own. We've got to figure this out. No. God did not leave us alone. He gave us law. He gave us his word. He gave us certain parameters for which to live our lives. Right? You kill people bad. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, this is the way of God. It's, obviously, there's more to it than that. But the basic concept is God is giving us a way to live. But the reason why we didn't start with how you read your Bible is because if you do not trust this God, if you do not trust that what he says is actually better than what you say, you will never obey it. You won't. You won't even try to obey it, right? And one of the things that I think we have to be really, really honest about is not just look at the Israelites and be like, ah, these guys grumble. Ah, they don't listen to God. They just do whatever they want. We have to see ourselves in it. We do it too. And it's not just because, I mean, yeah, we are sinful people, but understand what that means. We are not God. That's what it means fundamentally, right? We are not God. We've missed the mark. And it is precisely the reason why you need law, right? We need to be able to live in accordance to the will of God. But almost because it is the will of God and it is not our will, you're not going to like it. I mean, how many times do you like hearing someone correct you? Have you ever had someone who, like, like seriously, they were, like, 100% spot on, right? Like, like, they nailed you. They totally talked about something you did that was wrong. And they didn't even say it in a mean way. They, they said it super nice, super respectfully, but they were truthful. Have you ever just, like, like just been, like, 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 you're just, like, looking for things to poke. You're like, well, you're not all that. Or you're like, why'd you say it like that? But I mean, they said it super nice. They're super respectful. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, well, that's not really true. But then you look at yourself and you're like, no, no, no. They got me. And you still don't like it. It makes you uncomfortable. Of course it does. Right? That's what the law of God does to us. That's what the word of God should do. Because if you were able to live your life perfectly and to have the life that, that is perfectly good, then you would do it. We wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. Where, like, like I think the last I saw is like a third of the world is in extreme poverty, living on less than $2 a day. Brothers and sisters, what in the world? How can this be? We have enough! We don't know how to live the life that God wants for us, right? We don't know how to live according to the perfect will of God. And we need to acknowledge that. 
Now, brothers and sisters, if you still think it's a stretch, drawing this connection between our daily bread, having enough, then I want to bring up Exhibit B. (laughs) And Exhibit B, I mean, he should never be a B. Exhibit A is Jesus. Right? So if you guys remember, do you remember when Jesus went out into the wilderness? How long did he go out into the wilderness? How long? 40 days, right? Not 40 years, but 40 days, right? I mean, Jesus died maybe in his 30s, right? 33. So he didn't have 40 years, right? But make no mistake, this is mirroring the journey of the Israelites. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus is there for 40 days in the wilderness, right? And when he's out there, same thing happens. It's the wilderness. It's not a lot of food, not a lot of water. And he has nothing to eat. And after 40 days, you have to imagine the brother is hungry, right? And he's tempted and tested by the devil. And so we're told very clearly, I mean, yes, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man. He is human. And human beings get hungry. He's very, very hungry. And the tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus, you can break the rules, right? You you can break the constraints of living out here. You can make these stones into bread. What's the difference? And by the way, Jesus does it at different times, right? Remember, we just talked about he multiplied bread. He makes bread at different times. Well, what is the difference here? The difference is the wilderness. Jesus is supposed to go and take the journey of the people of Israel in appointed time, 40 days and 40 nights, and he knows that he is not supposed to eat during this time. Have you guys ever fasted before? Why do we fast? I mean, there there can be multiple reasons for this. But one of the reasons why you fast is so that you can feast on God. We normally feast on food. We normally trust food for our sustenance. But when you fast, you don't have that. You don't have bread and carbs and all these things. Instead, you just have the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, that's it. And it is a declaration of faith. You are saying, this is enough for me. I can live on you, God. Right now, God created us the way we are. You can't do that forever. But in appointed times, to remind us, we do not live on bread alone, right? That's what Jesus says. This is how Jesus rebuts the devil. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Now, if this were me, if I were writing scripture, if I were Jesus, I would say, but man lives by the Holy Spirit. It's not what he says. That's true, by the way. (laughs) We live by the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus equates bread, you know, physical bread, actual food, with the word of God. So you're here and you're hungry. 
You don't, you don't have bread, right? And Jesus is saying that, yes, it's not just bread you need. There are other things you need. And what you need may be even more than bread. You need the word of God. Now, this is the thing, brothers and sisters. Um, what happens if you don't have the word of God? What happens? Now, for most of us, we think nothing. Right? I mean, seriously, let's be honest. There are many of us, and, and, and I'm not trying to call anyone out, but I just know the world we live in. We just don't read the Bible a whole lot. We don't like it. I already talked about that, right? And, and for a lot of us as Christians, uh, uh, we don't read the Bible, and then we feel really guilty, you know? <laughs> and this is a funny thing. I, I actually think the guilt is super not helpful. I, I think you focus on the guilt, right? Like, like you don't read the Bible, you're like, ah, oh, I should be reading the Bible. I used to be this way. You know, even as, as a pastor, oftentimes I would read the Bible because I had to prepare a sermon or a Bible study, right? Or just to have integrity so when I tell you all to do it, I'm not like a complete hypocrite, right? So I can just kind of like feel better about myself, you know? But I, I, I mean, really, just at the end of the day, it was very much motivated, motivated by guilt. Maybe you feel the same way. You know, maybe like, like sometimes I'll have conversations with y'all. Oh, how are you doing in your spiritual life? And you're like, oh, Pastor Stephen, like, like seriously, like, you know, you look down, right? Your face is downcast. I haven't been reading the Bible. Now, so remember, you got bread, you've got the word of God. There's an equation here, or at least a parallel. Right? I read this book by Ron Smith talking about meditating on Scripture. And, and, and this kind of rocked my world. I thought this was really interesting. He says, when you skip dinner, when you skip dinner, you don't feel guilty. You're hungry. When we don't read the Word of God, and by the way, not just read it, but really learn to value it and ingest it as the word of God, the law of God, the way we are supposed to live and live by it, live in its constraints. If you don't do it, are you hungry? This is the thing. I think we are. I think all of us are. How many of us are so restless in this world? How many of us feel like we need more? Going back to the money thing. I need more money. I need more toilet paper. Whatever it is, why? Because there's something within you that isn't quite right. There's a word for this in Hebrew. It's a word that we normally translate as peace. But it's more than that. It's the word shalom, right? The, the, the word in Greek that we most often use to mimic it is righteousness. It, it, it's not this idea that you're doing everything perfectly. Brothers and sisters, we, 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 we've done some bad learning, right? We're like, well, no one can be righteous. We're like, yeah, but Christ is righteous. And he does want us to live in that. You don't do that by being perfect. Right? By, by, by observing all the laws and doing it perfectly. But make no mistake, 
There is a blueprint in Scripture that talks about rightness. Being right with the world, being right with yourself, being right with your body, being right with your neighbor, right? And that shalom is this idea that you can exist in this world and be at peace with it, be in balance with it. Not feel like at the end of the day, like, oh, something's missing. Man, I can't go to bed. How many sleepless nights do we all have? How many of us are just like itching and tossing and turning because we don't have enough? But if we can learn, right, as Jesus was trying to teach the Israelites, this is a test. It's not just a test of you but it is a test for you to see my goodness. When you follow my way, I tell you, go collect an omer. It will be enough. And then you eat it. The next morning, you're like, dude, that was enough. And everyone else in your neighborhood, everyone else in your community, everyone else in your nation, they have enough too because you didn't take more than you needed. And it is good. It is right. We are in harmony. This is what happens when we can follow the law of God. I want to be very clear, brothers and sisters. There is something within us. There is this idea of sin, broken fellowship with God, right? Where we cannot follow this perfectly. We are going to see this in the story of Israel. I want you to see it so you can see Jesus' solution to it. But if I can just leave you with one thing. I mean, one, yes, we do need to trust in God. We do need to trust in Jesus. And that doesn't go away in the New Testament, by the way, right? You still need to trust in God. You you still need to trust in Jesus. And, And I just want us to just take a moment and to bring before God our dissatisfaction. To bring before God honestly, because this is the thing. We seriously can't move on until we are honest, I mean, seriously, it's not going to do any good. If we go into how to read the Bible and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's good, it's good. But really, really, if you're being really honest, you don't like it. You don't like the Bible. You don't want to follow it. So we read it half-hearted. We're like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Steve, it's good, it's good. But you won't follow it. You won't wrestle with it. You won't let it ruin you. You won't read the Bible and be convicted and just weep and be like, yeah, I can't do that one. That's what's supposed to happen. Because in many ways, it causes us to turn to God to confess, I'm not God. I cannot save myself. I need you to save me. That is exactly what God did through Jesus. And a funny thing happens. Jesus goes in the desert, and there is no bread. He said, my bread is to do the will of God. My bread is the law, right? It's the word of God. You guys remember the night that Jesus is betrayed? We're going to go into communion right now, actually. I think it's a great transition.